Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. I absolutely don't have the words to describe what a difficult time I've had in trying to decide what to preach this morning. And I didn't really get confused, I don't think, until just the last day or so. But uh, many times I've talked about the fact that, you know, I, I, I can't get in the habit of changing my messages because of personal preference or because of maybe someone's perceived needs. But let me tell you, it's sure tempting sometimes, you know, to think about a particular need or something that's on your heart and think, well, you know, I think I'll preach that today. You know, I would absolutely love to spend my time this morning preaching a message of, of comfort uh, thinking about Cindy and the family and others that are going through different struggles. I'd love to do that. I, I'd love to preach a message this morning uh, about salvation. Last week I spent s- several uh, hours working on a message about the blood of Christ. I'd love to preach that this morning. Uh, and whenever you know, you know the people that are unsaved, you think, wow, that's what I need to preach. But uh, instead, I'm going to preach what I'm convinced God wants me to preach and do my best to do His will and and believe that He'll take my feeble effort such as it is and that He'll make something good come out of it. I'm going to preach this morning about death, but it's not what you think. Uh, I'm going to preach about the death of discipleship or let me put it another way. I'm going to preach about uh, I'm going to preach about would bees who won't be, would bees who won't be, or the death of discipleship. Verse number fifty-seven. And it came to pass, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, that is Christ, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and to bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said also, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Over the years, I've known a lot of has-beens. You know, I'm talking about people that at one time had been serving the Lord, at one time had been faithful, at one time, you know, had been a blessing to the Lord's church, but for whatever reason, they had become has-beens, and that, that is sad. To see someone maybe spend 20 years of their life serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden they fall into some sin or they, well, they might just get discouraged and throw in the towel. I've known that to happen to, to pastors that just absolutely didn't want to be under the pressure any longer and so they quit and now, you know, someone looks at them and well, there uh, has been. But I've known even more would-be's. 
people that would tell you, well, you know, I would do this or I would do that, but for whatever reason, they don't ever do it. Uh, people that m- might plan. I'm thinking about many years ago, we had a young man surrendered to preach uh, that was in a, back in Missouri before I came here. And, um, and all he ever did was talk about what he was going to do for the Lord. I mean, he was going to shake the world for Christ. He was going to do great things, but he simply never followed through on anything he planned to do. He was one of those would-be's who never become anything. A would-be who won't be. And here in our text, we're introduced to three disciples. And in each case, these men allowed something to take precedent over Christ. And I want you to notice their actual names aren't given but it's really easy to identify them. And I want to introduce you this morning to these three men. And I've given them each their name according to the, uh, to the story. The first one, uh, I believe, is Mr. Confident. The other one is Mr. Compelled. And the third one is Mr. Cautious. First of all, we are introduced to Mr. Confident. Notice he makes a resolution here in verse 57. He said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. In other words, what he is saying, Lord, no cost would be too great. No cross would be too heavy. No cost would be too rough. It doesn't make any difference. Wherever you go, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Now, that is a bold statement. That is a big commitment. But it's also a big blunder unless you're actually going to carry through. Just to say that you're going to do this is one thing. To do it is another. Now, look, this man might have been sincere. And uh, I'm not going to, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he was sincere. He had really thought about it. And he thought, you know, the thing to do is to follow the Lord. And so he says, Lord, whithersoever thou goest, you know, I'm willing to follow you. But notice there's some reason to question his remark. Because although there is no direct rebuke on the part of the Lord, it's obvious from the context that our Lord's response meant as much. Notice what the Lord says to him. Now remember, some have called this guy Mr. Quick on the Trigger. The Lord's been talking about the matter of discipleship and here's a guy that's been listening and he knows what the Lord wants to hear. So he says, yeah, I'll do that. He's quick on the trigger and claimed he would follow Jesus anywhere, but he hadn't really counted the cost because the Lord said, notice verse 58, and Jesus said unto him, foxes have hoes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So looking at this answer that the Lord gave, it's easy to see, and He wanted this man to get the message, that this is going to require the sacrifice of earthly security and comfort. I mean, think about it. Not having a house for home, not having a pillow for your head, And the Lord said, if you're really going to follow me, that's the way it's going to be. It's going to subject you to great difficulties, you see. Now, because Christ is Lord, He has the right to impose those kind of demands on us. 
That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear that it's going to be all fun and games. It's going to be easy, a smooth road. You know, it's going to be a bowl of cherries. No problems whatsoever. We'll follow the Lord because we want to go to heaven. Now understand he's talking about discipleship, not salvation. Whenever he begins to lay down the demands of discipleship, he's not talking about what you do in order to be saved. He's talking about what you ought to do because you have been saved. And there's a big difference. To be saved, all you have to do is to believe, is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to be a disciple, a learner, an apprentice of the Lord, you have to follow Him. And that's what every Christian ought to do. They ought to follow the Lord. And there are certain demands placed upon us. And evidently, we don't hear any more whatsoever about this man and so I think we can safely assume that he's not willing to make such a sacrifice. The Lord didn't commend him, say, oh, that is wonderful. I've got confidence in you. I know you'll get the job done. You know, I can depend on you. From all indication, here is a man that valued comfort more than Christ. You stop and think about it, how, you know, and it happens so often to think about how, how cheap some people sell out Christ. For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. For others, it's something even less than that. To think about the one who is altogether lovely and somebody will sell him out for the cheap trinkets of the world. Someone described as the fairest of 10,000 and people will sell him out for some ugly pet sin that they don't want to give up, you see. Something worldly, something unchristlike. But this fellow seems ready. I mean, he's got the confidence. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And the Lord quickly said, Look, if you're going to follow me, this is what it'll take. You know, I'm glad the Lord never, ever tried to gain followers by lessening the demands of discipleship. And he, he look, he never tried to deceive anybody either. You know, he didn't say, you know, follow me and all your problems will be over. Problem, you know, problem solved. Just follow me. I, I'll, you know, I'll make you rich. Follow me. And I, boy, it's so tempting to get off on a different subject when you read about, when you read about one of these and you'll know who I'm talking about. If if you don't, it's the most dangerous man in town. Some of you remember that sermon, maybe. $90 million a year and less than 1% spent on evangelism and lives in a multi-million dollar home. What kind of a sick person like that would claim to be a follower of Christ? And what kind, of, what kind of a warped individual would want to align themselves with someone like that that claims to be a man of God? Let me tell you something. Following Christ is going to cost you something. And those people that are trying to convince you that it won't cost you anything, you will profit from it. They're the only one profiting from it because of what they get from you. The demands of discipleship are not excessive at all. And Christ has the right, the authority to impose those demands upon us. 
Well, verse 59, here's Mr. Compelled. Some have called this fellow Mr. Too Slow, but uh, to me he's Mr. Compelled because notice, he didn't volunteer like the first man. The first man just, you know, right right off of the bat, he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. I'll, he's a volunteer, in other words. But this man is, is drafted. Notice, and you don't hear anything from him until he's confronted first and commanded. He didn't go up to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, I'll follow you. Notice the Lord turned to him. After dealing with this first fellow, Mr. Confident, he turns to this fellow and issues the command, follow me. And notice, he replied saying, I need to do something first. He said, Lord, suffer, allow me first to go and to bury my father. Now, you read that and it, you know, first glance, that seems reasonable. I mean, after all, aren't we supposed to respect our parents? Aren't we supposed to help our family? But there's a couple of things that needs to be considered. And first of all is this, that there's the possibility that his father was still very much alive. I've read many recorded cases of people in that part of the world to this very day that use that as a means to courteously decline an invitation. In other words, they, in order to get out of something, they would say, look, I can't leave home, I can't get away from here until after my father has died. That might be years down the road. So I, you know, I can't go away. I can't start on something new until after my father dies and I get him buried. So whenever he says, you know, suffer me first to go and to bury my father, he's kind of giving the indication that, you know, this is more important than me following you. Well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's suppose that his father really did die, and that brings us to the second issue that's here, and that is when God issues a command, or even if He just expresses His desire, or if He extends an invitation, God expects us to obey Him. Whatever this man had in mind, the Lord had other plans for him. And let me tell you, had he been serious about following Christ, nothing would have stopped him. You see, we never have a right to disobey, never have the right to, to decline our duty just because it's difficult. Now that'd be difficult. I mean, if his father was really dead and he says, look, we're going to have a funeral first and I've got, I've got to hang around town until, until after we get my father buried and then I'll be forward. That'd be difficult to walk away from that. But notice Jesus said, verse 60, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, let those who are spiritually dead attend to that matter. Uh, evidently, this man has professed faith in Christ, right? 
That's what I get from it. He's evidently made a profession of faith that he's trusted Christ as his Savior here because there's a contrast between those that are spiritually alive and those that are spiritually dead. But notice the Lord tells him, I want you to go. That means leaving town. That means missing the funeral. I want you to go and preach. But he wanted to delay. If you look over in chapter 14 and verse number 26, I want you to notice that one of the demands of discipleship is unrivaled love. The Lord said, Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I understand a couple of things. Number one, the Lord's not saying, I repeat, He's not saying, this is what you have to do if you're going to become a Christian, if you're going to be saved. That's not what He's saying. You don't become a Christian by doing that. But because you are a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, that's the cost. The second thing, please understand, is the Bible never contradicts itself, and since it doesn't, this must be a relative term. When he talks about hating your mother and your father and your wife and husband and even your own self also, notice that. What he's saying, in comparison to our love and our devotion to Christ, it is though that, that it is hatred toward others. There, It's a relative term. The Bible doesn't want you to hate your parents. The Bible doesn't want you to, you know, hate your spouse or you hate your children. But your love for Christ ought to be so extreme, so far beyond, so radical, that anything you would compare to it would be as though it was hatred. So here the Lord has confronted this guy. And uh, he feels compelled, right? He, he didn't volunteer. The Lord just turned from the one man to him and said, come on, follow me. And you know, whenever you feel compelled to do something, something you know that you ought to do, naturally you don't say, no, I don't want to. He's saying, you know, I, yeah, I'll follow you. But first, first he said, I, I need to take care of the business of burying my dad. And the Lord said, somebody else can take care of that. You come and follow me. You see, there's a price to pay when you get serious about serving God. You can't do everything you want to do. You can't do everything your husband wants you to do. You can't do everything your wife wants you to do. You can't do everything your kids want you to do. If you're going to serve God, you've got to do what God wants you to do. I don't know that Bev ever envisioned leaving Missouri and leaving her, you know, leaving her mother, leaving her grandparents, moving off to Tennessee and then up to Kentucky and finally end up down in Texas. I, I don't think she ever just sat down and thought, you know, that'd be a, that'd be a nice life to live and end up down there in Texas. And I don't, you know, her desires didn't have anything to do with it. It was a matter that this is where God wants us to be you see what i'm saying there's a price to pay and, and and it's not just for preachers and not just for preacher wives there's a price to pay for every christian if you're serious about following the lord so i oh no you don't want me to go there
I'll skip that till another day. And if you knew what it was, you'd thank me for it. Some of you wouldn't like it. Now, verse 61. Now, here's Mr. Cautious. Notice his inclination, verse 61. He said, I will follow thee. Now, remember, this guy's been listening. He heard the Lord approach this man and speak to this man and command this man, come and follow me. And he heard, the, you know, the explanation. Well, I got to bury daddy first. And so he says, I will follow thee. Now, remember, it, look, this is a public statement and it takes some courage to, to take a stand like that. So give him some credit. I don't know, maybe it's self-righteous. Maybe he's just saying in reference to the other two, yeah, they won't, but I will. You see, sometimes there are people that want to sound super spiritual, and it's like you know, they always think it'll lift them up and make them look better if they're putting somebody else down. Now, I don't know for sure that that's what his intent was, but it could be because immediately on the heels of these two conversations, he says, I will follow thee. Now notice his indecision. But, I underline that. But let me first go bid them farewell. You know, that are at home. Again, what that seems pretty reasonable. You know, it's kind of like the Lord said, if you're going to follow me, you need to have your bags packed or you're getting ready to leave town immediately. And he said, no, 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 I've, I've got to go home and I've got to tell the family that I'm going to be moving, I'm going to be leaving. And what he didn't understand is that delay can be dangerous. Think about it. You know, he might have, he might have gone back home and, and revealed to them his plans and they might have said, now put yourself in the place of those parents. Son, have you lost your cotton picking mine? You're going to follow this man called Jesus wherever he goes? Doesn't even have a house to live in, not a pillar to lay his head on? I mean, son, you don't have any security. I mean, you need to hang around here. You need to stay around here a while. You, you see, it would have been maybe easy for them to convince him to, to, to stay at home. Delays have a way of becoming detours. You see, the devil doesn't really care that much whether or not you believe what I'm preaching. That doesn't bother him very much. What bothers him is when you act on it. And he wins the victory whenever you decide, well, I know what the preacher said is true because it came straight out of the Bible, so I know it's true. But in some of the time I intend to do that, and you walk out that door and go your way, putting it off till another day, and that delay becomes a detour in your life. And that's dangerous. It can lead to your demise. We ought to respond the very moment that God is dealing with us. Brother Kenneth and I have talked about it several times, and uh, Brother Morse and I have talked about that very fact. There's so many times, whether it's in Sunday school or whether it's in the service, and you can just 
you know, as the word's going out and you can tell that God is really dealing with a person and sometimes they'll stand there or sit there with tears in their eyes and, 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 and because you know them and know something about them, you know what the need is and now you're watching them as they begin to see their need and they're under conviction and then some way or another they shove it all aside and walk out the door. Let me tell you, you lose when you do that, folks. If God's dealing with your heart about anything whatsoever, you need to deal with it immediately. And notice the instructions. So we have the inclination, I'll follow thee, the indecision, but, well, let me first go bid them farewell. And here's the instruction. Verse 62, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow... And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That must have cut like a knife. And that is exactly what those words were meant to do. Because this man needed to realize the danger of delay and disobedience. Notice that Jesus likens the Christian service to plowing. And this is not the only place it speaks of that in other places, putting our hands to the plow and not looking back. Let me tell you, plowing, as it was back in those days, was hard work. It was extremely difficult. They didn't have a John Deere tractor back then. You had to go out there with some beast of burden and have a get behind on the plow and... Uh, Man, I can remember growing up, and thank God I didn't have to do the plowing or anything like that, but, you know, it was something we saw all of the time. Our fellow that lived right immediately behind us, he's plowed every garden in that, in that part of town, had an old horse named Nell, and every year they'd go out and plow the garden. It's hard work, get out there and, and plow all day. It doesn't only require hard work, it also implies that you have to plow straight. In other words, you have to keep your eye on the, on the furrow. You can't be looking off somewhere else. You can't be looking down in discouragement. You've got to keep your eye focused on what the goal is. In other words, we can't allow anything to become a distraction. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, no man that warreth, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You see, there are a lot of things in and of themselves that are not sinful. But if we're going to be used of God, we can't get bogged down and tied up and hindered by the things of this world. Regardless of how attractive they might be. Or how necessary we feel they are. Now here in these three examples, we see the demands of discipleship. And to the first one, he says simply, basically, count the cost. You want to follow me? You First of all, you've got to count the cost because it's going to cost something. To the second one, he notice he says, cut the connections. You've got to connect the, cut the connection between you and your, your dad and your family, uh, You've got to sever that connection because Christ has to have first place in your life. To the third, he's saying to him, you need to consider the consequences. 
Notice he said, any man putting his hands to the plow and not, you know, and looking back, he says, not fit for the kingdom of God. There's some consequences to that. Let me tell you, that was the one thing the Apostle Paul feared. Paul didn't fear losing his salvation. Paul didn't fear persecution. Paul feared failing God to the point that God put him on a shelf and he became a castaway. That's what Paul feared. And that's exactly what happens to a lot of people. They set out and they even make a commitment, Lord, I will follow you. But they don't consider the consequences and they start looking back or looking around and they lose sight of the goal. Believers fail to become disciples simply because they put self first. Notice, here's the death of discipleship. You see it twice, verse 59 and verse 61. Actually, you see it in all three places, but notice these words, the same two words, me first. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first. Let me first. Those two words, those two words, that silly idea that we ought to put self first has ruined more lives than anything I know of. Me first. It ruins marriages. It ruins churches. It ruins lives. Me first. Lord, yeah, I will follow you, but me first. No, no. When it comes to Christ and being a follower of Christ, Christ is all or He's nothing. That's why Jesus said, you know, that... You're either for me or against me. There's no neutrality, no middle ground. You're either for me or you're against me. And for every Christian here this morning, let me tell you, you're faced with the same decision because every believer needs to become a disciple that is a follower of Christ. Because if you're not, you're living your life in disobedience. I'm not saying God called every one of you to pastor a church or to be a missionary. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God wants you to be a follower. And it's a costly proposition. It's difficult. But let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because the Lord said, He said, Great is your reward in heaven. Our payday someday. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ at all, look, let me tell you, you you could try your best to meet all of these demands of discipleship and die and go to hell because none of those things would ever get you into heaven. The only thing that would save your soul this morning is your faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That's the only way for you to be saved. Nothing else will work. You can get baptized. It won't save you. You can join the church. That won't save you. You can be a good neighbor. That won't save you. Nothing will except your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you trust Him this morning? And you know, I'm just convinced if we believers would be more sincere followers, that others would see that. And uh, as a result of that, as a result of that, as a result of our testimony, we'd see others coming to Christ, trusting Him as their Savior. 
Whatever God would have you to do, would you act on it right here, right now, this morning? Not sometime later. Don't put it down in your planner, the three weeks from today. No, no. If God's dealing with your heart, right now is the time to deal with it. And we're going to stand together. We're going to sing and extend this invitation, invite you and encourage you to come. And whatever it is, whether it's for salvation, church membership or whatever, you come. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the privilege to meet here. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to serve you, that we don't have to, we don't have to be an outcast, as it were, from the kingdom of God, but we can be involved in the most important business in all of the world. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. And may some lost soul come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior here today. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we sing.